Talk softly, my husband's home. Who cares? What do you want? Some information. Hurry up, then. What is it? You know, of course, that I got my notice. I couldn't prevent it, Mr. Krogstad. I fought for you to the bitter end, but nothing worked. Does your husband's love for you run so thin? He knows everything I can expose you to, and all the same, he dares to... How can you imagine he knows anything about this? Ah, no. I can't imagine it either now. It's not at all like my fine Torvald Helmer to have so much guts. Mr. Krogstad, I demand respect for my husband. Why, of course. All due respect. But since the lady's keeping it so carefully hidden, may I presume to ask if you're also a bit better informed than yesterday about what you've actually done? More than you ever could teach me. Yes. I am such an awful lawyer. What is it you want from me? Just a glimpse of how you are, Mrs. Helmer. I've been thinking about you all day long. Even a bill collector, an ambulance chaser, well, a, a type like me, also has a little bit of what they call a heart, you know. Then show it. Think of my children. Did you or your husband ever think of mine? But never mind. I simply wanted to tell you that you don't need to make this thing too seriously. For the present, I'm not proceeding with any action. Oh, no, really? Well, I knew that. Everything can be settled in a friendly spirit. It doesn't have to get around town at all. It can stay just among us three. My husband must never know anything of this. How can you manage that? Perhaps you can pay me the balance. No, not right now. Or you know some way of raising the money in a day or two? No way that I'm willing to use. Well, it wouldn't have done you any good anyway. If you stood in front of me with a fistful of bills, you still couldn't buy your signature back. The theater, the theater. Bring it out, Louise! Theater, theater. Hey, friends. <laughs> Is that a horn section I hear today, Scat? <laughs> Is that a French French horn? Oh, I was thinking more trombone. You know that I played French horn from the fifth grade through senior year of high school and uh, also played the trombone, the huh? trumpet, the flugelhorn. I played trumpet. I even played the opening solo in the <gasps> Chuck Mangione feels so good uh-huh. <laughs> when we performed that. <laughs> my band always loved Louie Louie. Ah, my oh, dad sure. loves that fucking song. You know what? We it's good to see y'all again because yes. actually we didn't get to record our last episode last week because we recorded it in advance. Yeah, in advance. So yeah. it's been a minute, but we did get to hang out, which was great. We did. We spent actual social time together and barely talked about this this podcast. That's true. What? Barely talked about the podcast. I mean, we we talked about it, but a, it was like it was yeah. yeah it was the dinner receipt. It was uh, DJ wrote off the dinner receipt because we went to dinner, but then we also went to uh, Universal City Walk Hollywood and we saw Shang Chi. 
Shang-Chi. Oh man, uh, it was great. We love the MCU. We love extended universes. And so yes. we decided we wanted to go see it and we did. And I had an absolute blast. I don't know about y'all. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. I was back within 48 hours to see it again. Me too. <gasps> I saw it the next night. Yeah. I saw it Monday Yeah, no, on lame. the Labor Day. I'm lame. I've only seen it once. I'm not nearly as cool Fucking as I want to. And I will say, if you can see it on a nice big digital uh, IMAX screen in 3D, I recommend it because it, there were moments where I was uh, th- th- dodging things that were coming at me. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah, like not, a I'm universal not a big, ride. I'm not a big 3D guy. I could take or leave it, but I had fun. There were a few moments that were like, right. I normally don't love it. Like I didn't love it with the star Wars films, but now and then I'll find one I want to see. Well, the second time I went to see it, I almost, we were going to go do 4DX because I have a 4DX theater, like a mile and a half away from my apartment. But, um, it was like, it was Monday. It was Labor Day. Everyone was seeing movies that day. It was sold the hell out. Yeah, I looked for tickets. Yeah. I've never that done would a be 40X. a fun go. It's, I saw Black Panther in 40x, <gasps> and um, you weren't just, you just being beat up the whole time? I feel like if it's like reenacting, <laughs> lots of things flying by hit. your head, but lots of things flying at my face. Um, but I mean, the experience of 4dx. I mean, I feel like a dweeb going into 3d anyway because nobody looks good in those glasses. And then 4dx, it's like they strap you in and your seat moves around and you're getting shit blown in your face. And it's 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 DJ, very nerdy. It's just a family <laughs> podcast. Ew, Bailey, you look all, like a geek. <laughs> I just put my 3D glasses on from Shang Chi. Uh, <gasps> I put you them kept over. Them? You, you stole st- them. Do you know why? Why? Because the at Universal Studios, the 3D glasses don't fit over my glasses. Uh, they're like too weird and wiry and these mm-hmm. do perfectly as you can see because i put them over my glasses i look like an old i look like an old man or like a soprano <laughs> or something um uh, but i <laughs> you just need to get the little pincher 3d things to put over your glasses exactly that's what i need <laughs> um, no but, cool. but guess what i took it to universal because i have a gold member pass i took it and i went to watch uh or i went on one of the rides and it doesn't work it's not the same 3d Ah, very upsetting. Uh, anyway, fuck you, Universal. Now that we've had our five minutes on Shang Chi and Universal uh, and 3D glasses and how much we love each other, yeah, yeah. Welcome, welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater nerds, made by three theater makers from the LA theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bircham. I'm CJ Merriman, and I'm Scott Leggett. And each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their plays. And this is part one. That's right, it's the beginning of our mini-series covering the works of Henrik Ibsen. Ibsen, 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 Ibsen. That's right, it's Pada Gabler. It's so good. It's really good. <laughs> so good. I like it. We were gonna yeah. go with Pod's house, and then on the Jodorowsky episode, we were like, no, I think it's Pada Gabler. Yeah, Pada Gabler. But we're going to be covering three of his works uh, so that we can sort of span his career. We're starting with a little bit of Peer Gint. Then we're doing A Doll's House, which I think, I feel like people forget that he wrote Peer Gint. Yeah. Well. We'll get into it. A Doll's House (laughs) and then Hedda Gabler. Yeah. Or Potta Gabler, if you're Uh feeling fancy. Um. How do y'all feel? You read some Ibs in the past couple of weeks? You read some Ibs? Read yes. some Ibs, watch some Ibs. Yeah. It um I uh we were talking pre-show and 
when this was on like the horizon earlier in our season and I was like, we're going to have to do <laughs> Ibsen. Yes. And I just, you know, again, we, we've had this happen over and over again throughout both of our seasons of the show of rediscovering people and going, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, like this dude was actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, so there's stuff that I liked and stuff that I didn't like for sure. Um, but I do feel like he had a pretty amazing, we talk about evolution a lot as we talk about stuff. And sometimes with our modern, our more modern folks, we haven't had that period of time to check out their evolution so much. And right. this dude, this dude evolved over time and that in a cool way. Well, and has and a also, massive body of work. Massive. Yeah. And he also evolved like in I almost feel like he was writing plays through a massive switch in how people enjoyed plays and how they sounded because Peer Gint almost, feel, it is, it feels like a language play to me. It's, mm -hmm. it's almost Shakespearean. And then by the time you get to Hedda Gabler, it's, it's just where it's, it's so much easier to read. Um, it's, you know, and it's he, conversational it and. And yeah. he kind of did that. Like he was the one that made that change. Like he right. was the one He's that sort of the spark of that postmodern. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's or, or modernism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was modernism. A, Sorry, it was not trippy, postmodern. Trippy, trippy thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, can he be considered melodrama? No. He's a little but, early for that, I guess. He's kind of at the same time as melodrama. I think the interest, the most interesting point. I read or heard about, I watched a little documentary on YouTube about him, was that one of the kind of fascinating things is that he does this in an isolated bubble in that Norway had its own theater world. And of course there was translations and Shakespeare and stuff, but that he kind of was like out of nowhere, kind of was like, nah, everything that we've been, you've been doing, it's wrong. And All he right. did it through his own philosophy. So yeah, melodrama is still going on through all this and then he's kind of going no this is modernism and i'm going to and, do stuff that you haven't seen before right and it's also it's not like it's not like he created any of these things really he is influence of all these he has influenced all right. of these you know what i mean it's which is kind of more profound and it's and like you said cj like what we're it, if we're charting his evolution it's crazy that he goes from writing massive epic cinematic fantasies that are on the level of like Wagner's ring cycle which is very Greek and Shakespearean right to do that um, but then he also he goes from that to writing extremely naturalistic mm -hmm. uh, well-constructed characters which is also very Shakespearean mm -hmm. right in another way yeah. right. Right? right which is interesting but he is he is influencing so many things that we now talk about when we talk about theater in all forms uh and that's really interesting to me which is why i think this is going to be a great miniseries yeah. did i enjoy reading all of these plays <laughs> no but that's okay <laughs> we're, we're gonna get right. into it the, the, the reading is something uh i also want to add real quick that not only it, it's the influence and uh, of theater but he's also uh, contemporary and predicts the works of Freud, the works of Carl Jung, mm. a lot of sociological, ph philosophical stuff that he's 
dealing with and infusing into his work. Right. So he's predicting these deeply psychologically flawed characters and potentially influencing and potentially influencing people and, like young and, and young. And then the biggest thing that struck me is that he's, he, he, his stuff starts to change as Darwin publishes his theory of evolution, which, uh. changed, which rocks the world. Huh. And he's like, huh? Uh. So he's absorbing that as well. So it's this weird transition period anyway, where, you know, colonialism is starting to be challenged. England is starting to, you know, not be the world power anymore. And, and then he kind of goes through, you know, the second half of, of the 19th century leading into the 20th century. And yeah, the, the ripples were so cool. I um, love go that. Ahead. Yeah. Uh, why don't we start off because we love some context on this pod. I would love to know just like what y'all's experience is with Ibsen before you started reading him for the podcast. Um, Scott, what is your history? My history de, de Ibsen? Ibsen. <laughs> I, uh, well, I remember very clearly reading A Doll's House in high school in AP English, which was probably the best class I took in high school. I had some good teachers, but this was a teacher named Linda Acock. And I don't know if she's still around or not, but she was cool. So the, basically how you did it was um, each of the books or plays that we were doing was assigned to a group of students who then taught the other students what was going on. And so she talked you through how to do all your research and how to do all of your analysis. And then you did like two or three over the course of the year. So you got to go deep. I didn't do Doll's House, but the presentation was so great. And there was this amazing young woman um, who, uh, who was in my class who really kind of was like in the middle of it, had the epiphany of this is feminism. Like this is early stuff like that. She got excited about it and it kind of created this excitement through the class. And I was kind of like, oh, wow, cool. Uh, so I remember that. And then I did in college, I did a horrible production. I had a gabbler, which I reflect, <laughs> we, we talked about in, in our uh, theater nightmare episode uh, with the double gunshots. And uh, it was awful in, in so many different ways, but specifically uh, the woman playing Hedda was awful and she was awful uh like an awful person and an awful actress um so that Ew. but i played george to, i played george in that and uh but then i i've seen like two really great productions of peter gent both were long wow. as fuck i bet but they but they were both so theatrical and used like every trick in the book everything you could think of from puppets to to projections to light the fog to movement stuff like and and so i have kind of a, a warm place in my heart for for pure again uh but we'll talk more about that in a second <laughs> well, but, but that's I my that's, that's my big stuff that's why i in theory love pure Gent. well i'll get into it never mind yeah, well, I, yes, I, have, yes. I have so many hot takes on that okay go ahead siege um well, I read A Doll's House uh, in Major Dramatist my freshman year in college, and then I read Ghosts, and it was for one of my Larry Should Schmidt Major Dramatist be the name of this podcast? <laughs> I feel <laughs> like that'd be a cooler name. It'll be our spinoff. It'll be our okay, spinoff. Okay, got it. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, and then I read Ghosts for a Larry Schmidt class in like mm. my ritual to performance class when I was working on my religion degree. 
Um, and then our sophomore year was the end of the year, and it was kind of to ramp us up into Shakespeare my junior year. We did a semester that was Chekhov and Ibsen, and we had we did a scene, and I ended up doing a Chekhov scene, but I saw a lot of Hedda Gabler and Dolls Houses in, like, scenes in class. Mm-hmm. And then my last thing was... Uh, at the so then we moved on to Shaw one year and um, I got to play a Shaw play called The Philanderer. Yeah. Where oh yeah. It's, yeah. It's these two in. It, it, it's a young man and woman that are intellectuals and they love Ibsen. Ibsen is all the rage in this uh, Shaw play, and um, for that <laughs> I played the girl and uh, for Edwardian we had to throw a tea in movement class. And I was the host of my table, so I threw an Ibsen tea at my yeah, table. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. <laughs> that's, that's rad. <laughs> that's good context. I yeah. have my I have actually very little context with him. I read a doll's house and had a gabbler as given to me for for college mm-hmm. where I had to do script analysis. So I knew them well enough that I was like, okay, I remember those. Uh, but I did on my own watch ghosts and i don't even remember who was in it she's like the production that was filmed of ghosts uh-huh. uh, for bbc or some, something like that sure and i love that play mm. i need I to go back to it love it so much uh we didn't read it but it's i mean it's like about metaphorical ha- ghosts of the past haunting us right it's that it's kind of on the nose for what it is. There's sins of the father thrown in there. Absolutely. But yeah. there is there is a moment in that play that is like one of my favorite moments in a piece like this. Uh, if you're comparing like Ibsen and Chekhov and Strindberg, as people tend to do, mm-hmm. this is sort of one of my favorite moments. Um, and it really hit me. It kind of destroyed me the first time I read it. it the son in the play, I forget his name, is dying of... Uh, syphilis <laughs> i'm yep. pretty sure right. oh yeah right. yeah classic yeah. sins of the father storyline <laughs> right uh and he like looks up at his mother in tears she's just said something and he says i did not ask to be born Oof. and it like ripped me to shreds and i think that line has been used since oh, then a million in many times other sure. things sure. right uh, sure. uh but it, it's a story about inheritance of of wealth land trauma all those you know uh syphilis. and it was just so syphilis <laughs> uh so it was just so yeah, profound syphilis. i really love that one and then the only other thing is that i've seen the jonathan demi movie starring wallace sean a master builder oh right yeah oh. which i've never seen a production of that but i've seen that movie and it's wallace sean and julie haggerty from love airplane him. yeah weird yes. cast. it's a weird cast it's a weird cast but it is kind of good uh, it's yeah. not as good as vanya on 42nd but it's good mm. it's good uh we stand um anyway so that's that's our context the next section we, should we have a stinger for context i feel like we should maybe we'll we'll maybe. talk about it well, uh, we can production we can, meeting now I'm, I'm taking notes and we, we we should have that and a digression <laughs> Pretty We've soon, this pod already. is only going to be stingers. Stingers. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Stingers. Uh, because the next, our next segment has a really phenomenal stinger. Uh, let's hear it. Scottpedia. 
We're talking about some Scottopedia. That's what we're talking about. You heard that stinger, and that's right. I did, I did. It's like Encyclopedia, but with Scott. With Scott. Now we need a new one because his name's Scott. Is it Scottopedia or is it Slatopedia? Girls, we like saying words wrong. Uh, it's the best bit ever. Slat came from which miniseries? Who was a slat? CJ's the slat. I well, I know that, but who was from Slatvinia? It was, wasn't it like, wasn't it Ionesco? Ionesco? It oh, it, it must have, it must have been. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. What is that? <laughs> Another playwright whose last name begins with I. Hey, hey, we did a mini series on it, motherfuckers. Go listen to it. Go listen Our letter to it. of the month is I. <laughs> All right. Okay. You ready for this? I'm gonna I'm gonna awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna work my way through this quick because then we can play our way. I got a game this time. Oh. We got the game this time. Yes. Oh. All right. Can't wait to win. <laughs> you will. Heinrich Slappy Ibsen. That's not his actual sobriquet. I'm just, I, that's what I'm going to call him. Slappy. Uh, Slappy. Slappy. Uh, on their, uh, Johann Ibsen was born on the 20th of March, 1828 in Stockman Garden. <laughs> All these names are going to be real fucked up. Is that Norwegian? Norwegian? Yeah. Stockman Garden uh, into an <laughs> affluent merchant family in the prosperous port town of Skien in Bratsburg. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Ibsen's ancestors were primarily merchants and shop owners in large cities uh, or members of, quote, the aristocracy of officials of Upper Telemark. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> he was baptized at home in the Lutheran State Church, membership of which was mandatory. Uh -huh. well, he's a Lutheran? He's a I Lutheran. bet he was Missouri Synod. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That happened on the 28th of March, right after his birth, and the baptism was confirmed in Christian's Church on the 19th of June. His parents, though not closely related by blood, had been reared as social first cousins, sometimes described as near siblings in a social sense. It's Scandinavia. It's a what? little foreign for us. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We they have better health care. It's fine. Yeah, right. The family moved to the city of Skeen when Ibsen was a child. Uh, when Ibsen was around seven years old, his father's fortunes took a turn for the worst. What? Maybe this comes up later in his writings? What? I don't know. <laughs> and in 1835, the family was forced to sell their fancy home. They had a fancy home. And the following year, they moved to their stately summer house, which was called Vinstup. Vinstop was Vinstop. the name that their house had a name, so I'm not feeling too bad for any of their misfortunes. I'm gonna no. name my apartment now. Yeah, we should absolutely name our <laughs> name our pads. Uh, mine is called the Schwank. The Schwank. I think I'm just the gonna schwank. call mine the Mana. Um, the Mana. The Schwank waffle. I should. I, I'll have to consult with Krasner before I, I go declaring <laughs> a name. Um, the family was relatively affluent, had servants, and socialized with other members of the skin elite. At around 16, he moved to the small town of Grimstad and began to write plays. In 1846, when Ibsen was 18, he had a liaison with one Elsa Sophie Genstanter 
Beer Birkendalen. I want to make sure <laughs> I get it right. Lots Try again. Yeah, four names. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, Elsa Sofa <laughs> Genstatter Birkenstalen. Okay. Uh, Birkenstacks. And that liaison. Oh, that's a good sandal bag. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, I got potato shoes. <laughs> I got potato shoes. Look at them. Um, but this liaison produced a son, Hans Jacob Hendriksen Birkendalen. Uh, whose upbringing Ibsen paid for until the boy was 14, though Ibsen never had a relationship or saw the boy. Uh, he, right, he was 18. He ran away. Uh, he couldn't pass the exams to get into university, so he basically said, fuck it, and just started writing full time. He spent the next several years employed at the Detnorska Theater in Bergen, uh, where he was involved in the production of more than 145 plays as a writer, director, and producer. During this period, he published five new, though largely unremarkable, plays. Uh, despite Ibsen's failures to achieve success as a playwright, he gained a great deal of practical experience at the Norwegian theater, experience that was to prove valuable when he continued writing. He married Susanna Thorensen on 18th of June, 1858, and she gave birth to their only child, Sigurd, on the 23rd of December, 1859. Is uh, it Sigurd or like Sigurd? Or, you know, like there's got to be some kind of... It's S-I-G-U-R-D, Sigurd. My Sig. dwarf paladin dark knight that I'm playing right now in D&D's name is Sigrun. Sigrun? Sigrun. Sigrun. You called me a dork earlier. I want to point out. <laughs> I was made to be the whatever. Okay. I'm being forced to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sigurd would eventually grow up to become one of uh, Norwegian's prime ministers. So, you know, he, he was doing fine, despite the weird name. Yeah, good for him. Um, in 1864, Ibsen had had enough with Norway. He split. And he went to Sorrento in Italy in self-imposed exile. He spent the next 27 oh, years in Italy and Germany and would only visit Norway a few times. Um, and let's see. It was, was a self-exile? It was a self-exile. He just had enough. He I hate went. it here. I don't like, I don't it, like it. it. Uh, let's see. I um, well, I have self-exiled from Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> right. I'm self-exiled from the Midwest myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on May 23rd, 1906, Ibsen died in his home at Arben's Garden in Christiania. In now, now known as Oslo, which is a great change, by the way. Thank you, Norway, for changing your very complicated. So that Scott can pronounce it on the. We're never doing a live show in Norway ever again. I can say have any any listeners. Look, I'm just attacking it. I'm just going full throttle and trying to be as as respectful as I can. He died after a series of strokes, and basically. On the 22nd of May, his nurse assured a visitor that he was doing a little better. Ibsen sputtered his last words, on the contrary, and he died at 2.30 p.m. the next day. So what a, fa- a last word. Yeah, words. right. <laughs> On the contrary. Okay, I got I got three I got three truths and a lie. Okay. Three no, truths were... and a lie? I'm sorry, two truths and a lie. All right. Wow. Two truths and okay. a lie. Two truths Jesus. and a lie. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Ibsen's grandfather was a captain of a ship called the Charitas, and he was a merchant and a uh, and a sailor. And he died. He was lost at sea when the ship sunk. Okay. Next, uh, in his township, 
um, Ibsen was a cub champion. Cube, cub, K-U-B-B, is also known as Viking Chess. It is an outdoor game, and it is uh, requires a team, and it's quite addictive, and basically it's kind of horseshoes, and it's got all these rules in it, but you play it uh, with friends in Norway on a like a Norwegian really nice day. It's team, it's team chess with horseshoes. Right, yeah. Saying. But okay. it's Norwegian cornhole. This, you can call it Norwegian cornhole, because it involves <laughs> it, uh, okay. uh, horseshoes, um, and then um, at the age of 15, Ibsen worked as a pharmacist apprentice. So two of those things are true, and one of those is a lie. <laughs> what do you think, CJ? I don't know. I, I don't think he was a pharmacist apprentice. I'm going to say number one. That his, his grandfather died at sea? Was a merchant? Is yes. that what you Okay. Yes. Because oh. that one's too cool and is probably an Ibsen thing. The second one is so specific that it either is Scott pulling something deep out of his ass, which it could be, or <laughs> it's totally real, which I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then the third one was so lame and ne- neutral that I was like, you're either trying to trick me. You're pulling a Wallace Shawn from Princess Bride <laughs> <laughs> because you're both tricking me and not tricking me at the same time. Uh but what you don't know is I am uh, the smartest man alive. So <laughs> I think it's the third one. Okay. <laughs> You're right. both wrong. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was the cube, which is an actual Norway thing. I went looking for weird Norwegian You pulled it deep out of your ass. I pulled it deep out of my ass. I'm like, yeah, let's say he was the it, village champ. It'd be even wow. better if you made up the game. Cube? Now we have to <laughs> yes. play. Now we're going to all have to go and play cube. I'm gonna look it up. Cube? We're gonna go. We're gonna, yeah. We're gonna go to a park, and then we're gonna play pickleball. There's no such thing. <laughs> I don't know what any of this is. We didn't call it cornhole in the Midwest, but I can't remember what it was called. Bean bags. Bean bag. probably. Bean bag and hole. <laughs> bags and holes. Bags and holes. Yeah. Bag and a hole. Throw bag in hole. <laughs> um, uh, drink Bud Light. Drink Bud Light. Uh, okay. That was fun. This so, is great. <laughs> why don't we get into our first play that we're going to discuss? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is an interesting one. What year was this? Uh, it was 1867. Whoa. The year yeah. of our Lord. I think right. um, what. Uh, it, <laughs> Good year for wine. <laughs> I think an interesting thing to talk about is that he worked in kind of four phases. He had his original phase, which produced nothing that we would know, or like that's really plays that are really only done in Norway. And they were there was like, that play brand that I think got some note to it, but you're right, I don't think it's produced outside kind of, of yeah. right. Brand kind of was the transitional play that moved him into the second phase, which is where Pierre Gant lies, right, and which is kind of where he's dealing with uh, fairy tales and whimsy a little bit. He's dealing with poetry, poetic verse in 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 the plays, uh, and then he'll eventually abandon that. We'll get to that when we get to Doll's House. But yeah, uh, 1867. It was a hell of a year. We- uh, the Bears won that year. I don't think it's the last time they've been. Um, uh, I also just have to say, this was quite a jump from SLP. Yeah. <laughs> from, Susan, was it, from Susan Laurie Parks to, yeah. to Pierre. Go Gibb. listen to our last miniseries, y'all. Yeah. Totally. Uh, but yeah, I just kept thinking, like, this is a change. I like how we stacked this shit up. 
right it was so different and <laughs> so can we talk a little bit because cj texted me i think texted both of us talking about it's my fifth day i'm finally <laughs> finished it took me five sittings to finish it <laughs> i did it in two sittings the first Whoa. one was four hours and the second no. one was three and a half hours no, no, i no, took no. breaks throughout but i was kind of like i'm just i'm in it i'm doing it i'm because I really dug the first three acts. Uh, it was act four that almost killed me. Like when he goes to Morocco and Africa and all that. And I was just like, oh, bro. And then the worst thing about it is physically looking at it on the page and seeing that his monologues get longer and longer and longer and denser. And I'm like, oh, man. But anyway, what'd you guys think? <sighs> I'm Go ahead, Siege. Well, how many sittings did it take you, Bailey, to finish it? Oh, I, on it. Do you want the truth? Yeah, yeah. I was so bored by the first act that I just set it by the toilet, and every time I sat down on the fucking <laughs> toilet, I would just read as many pages as I could. So I don't That's know. That's beautiful. I love 12, it. How many shits did it sittings? take, Bailey? <laughs> I don't 27, know 27, 28 poops. <laughs> Took me two weeks to read it. Let me tell you that. <laughs> because That's I didn't a really even good that idea. Much. Yeah, it's genius. It's what I did in high school to make myself read the books I had to read <laughs> that I didn't just like. More? Well, I just remember, like, specifically, there was a book I really didn't like, which was Brave New World. Mm -hmm. uh, another book I really didn't like was Frankenstein, which now in retrospect, I think I would like. But as a freshman in high school, I was like, no. And I remember being like, I'm going to put this by the toilet and just force myself to read it every time I sit down. <laughs> and I did. And I finished both books and did well on the tests, even though I hated them. What um, Bailey's not telling the audience is that his average poop is an hour and 35 minutes. Easily. <laughs> what Bailey isn't telling the audience is he's recording right now in the bathroom. <laughs> I am in the bathroom. That's why I have a little echo. Uh, but no, I, I, I don't. I don't hate this. I don't hate this. This play. In a way, it's super cool that at this time he was writing something that is basically unstageable. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's like Sarah Kane. Like, yes. that's a weird analog, but Sarah Kane was writing shit where I was like, you, how do you do this? And they're like, just do it. Just, I don't know, do it. And I, I don't know, feel you're like, the artist. Yeah, you're <laughs> the artist. And I feel like <laughs> it's sort of a gift. At the time, I'm sure they could do really cool things with it, and cool things probably came of it. And I'm sure the original productions were interesting and fun and, and very fun for the creative teams. But I think it was almost like a gift to the future in a way. I think it would be so fun to adapt this now and make it your own thing as a director or a choreographer. I know it's been done as a ballet many times and mm. things with the Greek music and or Gehrig or what? Grieg. Yeah, Grieg. Yeah, I wrote the um, symp symphony. symphony. I love that you guys. Was, that was insane to that was insane to watch over Zoom. Like Thanks. to watch you watch your face light up. Yeah. <laughs> I had a good time. Uh, I, I, I things I like about this. You ready? Yeah. Yeah. These are my notes on things I like about it. It says things I like about this. 
Ibsen wrote Peergant in deliberate disregard of the limitations that the conventional stagecraft of the 19th century imposed on drama. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag Sarah Kane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, Churchill. I thought a lot about uh, what's the one Churchill play, the, the skill, the, the, the one with Scriker. the Scriker. The Scriker. Yeah. Just in terms of the massiveness of extracting from uh, fairy tales, from mythology, and then twisting it and turning it, and how epic Didn't and dense it is. The Scriker win your number one spot at our last curtain call, our first ever curtain call. It might have, yeah. It was. I loved that play. I can't remember if it was my I number one. I think it one. did. I think you put Scriker uh, at number one. Yeah, I, I will did. say, y'all, uh, just as a reminder to the listeners, at the end of this season, which is only one play right away after Ibsen. Well, mm-hmm. two. Oh no, we're gonna rank them first. Never mind. Sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, there is a full episode that's basically dedicated to the fact that I love ranking shit, which is I should, I'll talk about this later during the segment. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, it's also, it's like 40 scenes, okay, yeah. which is why I liken it to like Wagner's ring cycle, because it's just, it's massive, and it's jumping through time, and it's jumping through uh, uh, place. Very Candide, and... Pericles-esque. Yeah, very. Yes. Candide, good good and call, good pull. Candide is yeah. a no, I wrote as well, Siege, but I will say, thematically, they're similar as well, and I think Candide pulls it off better. Uh, I would tend to agree. Yeah, I think Voltaire <laughs> is pulling off some of these things better and doesn't have to make it fucking five acts of n- nauseating chaos. I will say, <laughs> I think it would be so fun to get my hands on. I really do. But reading this was so hard for me. It was. A, it's a difficult read. I was That's trying to have fun and I wasn't. And I was trying to get in the mindset of the time and try and be like, what if I was reading this then? This would be like a Marvel movie to me, right? Mm-hmm. But like, I couldn't get there. I just it never let me get there. And I think there are people who probably love this thing, and I totally get it. But I think where he goes is uh, in his evolution is so much more interesting to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, for, for sure. sure. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in a theory. This should be my favorite play of all time, in theory, because I love fantasy. I love, I love stage theatrics. I love stage magic. I love tech theater. Which I know, Scott, you were saying you've seen productions where it is cinematic. There's just like yeah, amazing... I saw two great productions. I should also mention that Sacred Fools before my time, so very early in Sacred Fools, they did it as well, and like just cut the fourth act and did it as a mm. video as a video montage it's like this is where he went and this is what he did and now here we're at old man old man pierre gant all right um, so that um and then cut it down and i should say that both of the productions full productions i've seen that i liked a lot were long like curtain up at eight and down at 12 15. fuck oh my with, god with intermissions with one intermissions. intermission or two one Okay. No. That I recall, the one for sure was only one intermission, and it was a little bit longer. They may have done like a more like a twenty minute thing than a than a fifteen minute thing. Right. Right. And then I read it. I read that the Guthrie did a full production where they broke it up over two nights that you saw, which I was like, oh maybe that makes it more digestible. Reminds me of like his dark materials too. When they turned that into a stage, it was three nights of theater. Right. Yeah. And those, I kind of dig those kind of elements of it. I mean, I'd be into his dark materials any old goddamn time. But you should turn that into an opera or something. Totally. 
Siege, what would like you like? What was your reaction to it? I mean, other than the 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 challenge of of reading it, did you just just not like it at all, or was it just uh, boring to you? It wasn't boring. I just I didn't like it because <laughs> right. I didn't like him as a character. Like I didn't like him, and I didn't like him. No. <laughs> I mean, I I understand ibsen times all that shit but like he's not a hero to me and i no he's not no he's not at all i think that, and yeah, yeah i mean it kind of it kind of says it all in my breakdown whenever we do get to that oh shit we haven't done the breakdown siege <laughs> we're the worst cj's breakdown a tale of triumph for all shitty white dudes we follow the life and times of Pierre Gint, a complete asshole, as he fucks over, bigots, kidnaps, and fails upward for most of his life until he is robbed, while culturally appropriating, no less, and much later on thrown into the sea via shipwreck. After murdering the ship's cook, he manages to well-actually his way out of death three times before being welcomed home by the now old woman who waited for him since she was inappropriately young for him to be romantic with. Fuck <laughs> everyone. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> I, I think... Somebody that's... needed to go to poor Solvig and just go, girl, girl, you don't need to, you don't need to stay out in this cabin. <laughs> For him. Right. For him. And I, I will say, you know, it's based in fairy tale, right? Apparently it's based in a often told Norwegian mountain tale. Sure. Right. Uh, which, okay, sure. Uh, but I guess Ibsen sort of believed that this was also sort of rooted in truth. Um, that there yeah. was a Pierre Gint, that there was this man. Yeah, I don't know if that was like a a, a marketing thing or, but he he was he pulling a Jodorowsky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe Ibsen uh, was the original Jodorowsky. <laughs> what, go what, listen to that and stuff, y'all. Listen go. to that one, but or don't. <laughs> no, listen to it. No, listen to it. Uh, but I love that he he was doing this to piss people off. He was really like, the, like he wasn't trying to prop up Pierre Gint as a hero, but he was going, you guys prop him up as a hero. Like hmm. there are all these things, like he's just constant. He's just poking. People were pissed off at this play. And I think that that's one of the things I appreciate the most in terms of looking back historically at it. And, you know, there's, and there's, there's all kinds of, it's so dense with so much stuff. Like, you know, there's vaguely a redemption, but he doesn't even give you that. Like he's, he's like, eh, this is the story of, this is the life of an asshole who kind of gets through it all. And, and uh, it, I think it would work as a hardcore farce. Oh yeah. I think you, yeah. I don't think there's anything at all. Like I would go realistic. see a farcical peer Gint. That's kind of how I read it though. I think right. that was the only way I got through it. Honestly, uh -huh. <laughs> is that I kept reading it as a satirical farce, right? Like you have to read it that way. I mean, he's presented as an anti-hero. I don't think there was ever a moment where I was like, I, I like where this guy's mind's at. You know? Yeah. Right, 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 right. Ever. I think he's fully presented as an anti-hero, but I, that's, Sometimes, and I think CJ, you might feel it the same way. Sometimes that's really hard for me to mm -hmm. follow an entire story, especially mm -hmm. when it's 
very long. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, I want to care a little bit. I want to see sides of you that I give a fuck about. I don't think that's present here. And I think, obviously, like you're saying, Scott, that's all on purpose. And that is a form of art, a theater of cruelty in some way that I don't (laughs) know that I love. But I get it. And again, I will stand for that kind of art all day. And I have a lot of favorites, uh, pieces of of materia of 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 movies that i love that are fully anti-hero people you just can't even latch on to uh but this one was hard for me it is i did like the scene with his mother when he went back to her before she died that was a very sweet i was just gonna bring that up this the sleigh ride to heaven where he's that was very sweet i thought their relationship was very funny i forgot about that and there's one or two other moments that are, are kind of sprinkled out where first of all both the productions that i saw were used insanely charming charismatic people to play because you you just couldn't watch it if it was any kind of like character like you know actor thing was it the same actor the whole time or did they have a young and an old when i saw it it was just one actor each time but i read about productions like uh what's uh chiwetel olifar am i saying he did he did a production uh where he played young pierre gant then there was a white dude that played middle Pier Gant, and then there was another black guy that played old Pier Gant. And oh. they they kind of they just did it and you had to you just went along with it. And so people do like a lot that. of cool things with it. And you know, if you do it like I the one production I saw used about a 10-person ensemble hmm. to do everything, to play all of the characters and do oh, all wow. of the probably a fun stuff. show to be in the ensemble to Yeah, be especially with that much stuff. Like and they were like every role is a lead role at that and, point because I mean, yeah, there's yeah, 30 yeah. characters. Yeah, yeah. and they're they were ju- there were jugglers and there were, you know, the you know, they had these, you know, animals, you know, hor- they did the horse as a giant puppet and all that stuff. I guess in Norway they've done productions where they've brought out literal horses and reindeer and <laughs> like done the whole thing. It's Wagner's ring cycle. This thing could just be like an eight hour, like everyone just sit and watch opera. Uh, I'm into it. There's some other cool adaptations of this. Uh, in 98, the Trinity Rep Company, uh, which is in Rhode Island, Ooh. did a, uh, they commissioned, I, I can't say who did the adaptation because they're our next playwright. Oh, and we have to do ooh, that game. That's cool. Yes. But our next playwright did an adaptation of this that apparently I love did very that. Well. In 2007, uh, St. John's Prep of Danvers, which I think is a high school, but they were in Massachusetts, won uh, a big festival, the MHSDG Festival, which I don't know what that is. No, I'm not sure. A production starring. Bo Burnham as Peer Gint. Wow. See, that's that's exactly the type of person that needs to play it. Like, they're a little bit of an asshole. You know it. Like He was in high t- school. He was in high school, but you could tell, like, you know, he was a little bit of an asshole. He was a total but he's dick. So charming. <laughs> so charming. And, like, that you just kind of were like, ah, like, that's the the only way I can I can see to do it. But Right. Um, yeah, and then ahead. there's a, a, a one other which is Will Eno, a playwright that I I enjoy, uh, and I like his music as well. Uh, adaptation of Ibsen's Peer Gint titled Knit G N I T or Gnit 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about this. Uh, was a thirty seventh uh, Humana Festival. <gasps> Humana uh, Festival, in, which was in twenty thirteen, had its premiere there, and apparently was great. People, huh. all Sexing. right, and all people right. do it all the time. Colleges do it a lot, and things like this. Right on. Um, yeah, they yeah. have a Pier Gint Festival where they do a production every year. It's in Good Brandstolen Valley, right. one hour north of Lilyhammer. We we're going to be boycotted by all of our Norwegian <laughs> listeners. Uh, hey, Norway. There, is there any connection to the Ibsen play with all of that, or is it based purely in the fairy tale, or is it? Is it's it this the play. Or? They do the play every year at this oh, wow. festival. Yeah. yeah. And do you guys feel like this thing has lived on because of the soundtrack? I say the soundtrack. The the compositions the symphon- that the were symphony. made for it. The, right. The, because um, it maybe. was that was made for the play. It's it was not made something for that was the play. made later. It's right, right. Um, yeah, there was um, Ingmar Bergman directed one um, in Denmark, I think, in like the seventies, late sixties, seventies, where he only used authentic folklore music. Like, um, mm. but I think, I think so. I think it's been kept alive because I think every every few years somebody somewhere in the world goes. Here's a badass production. Oh, right. I'm going to try this thing. I'm going to try this thing. And, and the ballet such... uses the Greek music. Yeah. You right. know, yeah. So it's. I it's just so feel much... like it's it's also a part of the world that is steeped in its lore and history. Yeah. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you still talk about everyone's like mad, like crazy about Vikings and Trolls. all the TV shows. And like, yeah, I just all feel like creatures it's a place. And Did y'all I mean, watch we... Eurovision? Yes, we did. Yes, <laughs> Will yeah. Ferrell and Rachel McAdams, yeah, 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 truly okay. phenomenal film. The, the, I love the, it. I like the, the, the gnomes are the heroes in that. The gnomes they really are. The are. Um, but yeah, it's you know, listen, it's it, it's it, it's one of those things that you know, as a theater person, uh, as a literature person, you you got to tackle Peer Gynn at some point. Yeah. Uh, whether it's sitting down and doing it, and I, I'm I'm glad we did it. Like I said, I'm I'm I feel very lucky that I got to see two good productions of it because I can imagine it being going awry so fucking easily and oh, just yeah. being right. bad. But there's it's also just a full open palette. You can do so much with it. You can do so much with gender switching and and fucking around with that. You can do so much with puppets. You can do so much with dancing and movement and all of it. Like it's just um it's just sort of a cool sort of blank slate that where you can tell the story of of this asshole and then you know it also goes you know it's all there's also a lot of talking about you know morality and what is morality and who's the judge of morality and there's a lot of anti right. a lot of anti-religion which i dig mm-hmm. uh, the, that's a, that's not anti-god but anti sort of church right um, well it's got for, its life of brian moments it's got its sort of uh everyman moments that oh, yeah. that play by anonymous right mm-hmm. it's, it's got yeah. those kind of things and those right. all we should cover that sometime that same. we will i'll probably make it in, in one of my i haven't read that in half a lifetime yeah i was directing it in college and it got pulled from me <gasps> what because i didn't turn in a paper on time um no yeah, that's isn't that crazy yeah that's because it was to the teacher who it. had had chosen me or what or the direct the head of the directing part department he was like well, you didn't turn in your directing two paper, and I was like, "Oh, I'll, here, I'll turn it in right now." I fit it. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> here, here you go. Suck it. I don't care about this. And he was like, "No, you're not directing this anymore." <gasps> oh, oh, what a dick! 
fuck? And they ended up putting up the Faith Healer because it was an easy one to put up because it's only three people, and it was one of the worst shows I've ever seen. Sorry, actually, I shouldn't have said that. Two of my g- very good friends were in that, uh, and it was great. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like the play. I just don't like the play. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Kaufman, Damian Padilla, you know I love you both. Okay. Uh, I don't know if either of them listen to this. Okay. Uh, let's get off of Pierre, unless y'all have anything else to say. No, no. I no. think it's. I think it. It was especially interesting reading going through his evolution and yes. that he finished it and was like. I need to get more grounded. I need to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Right, because this is his last play in verse. Mm-hmm. Oh, it yeah. is. So okay, cool. He had been writing almost, almost exclusively in verse, mm-hmm. uh, and that's how people knew him. He was a poet, and anybody who said anything against Pierre Gant, he'd be like, it's poetry, screw you. And it's yeah, like, great. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, which is fine. And I think this opens like you were saying scott the next phase the next chapter of the things that he's doing based on the reactions to this and he goes a little bit more into character development he goes a little bit more into naturalism and almost creates he's known sort of as the father of modern naturalism Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) in in academic circles this is how he's made there was an interesting quote that it was like as he kept writing uh especially as he gets into phases three and four um you know with doll's house and then later hedda that like what he's doing demands that the art and craft of acting has to change in order Mm -hmm. to pull it off successfully you can't play it melodramatically you can't do it demanded a, a whole different thing and i think you see it so clearly in a doll's house for me anyway Agreed. So that's Agreed. our next one, which is A Doll's House, which is almost a decade later, right? 1879. No. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Let me check my paper. Yeah. Um, don't listen, I don't believe you, so I'm going to check. It's a decade later, like a, a full decade later. And now he's fully, he's been fully out of Norway for a long time. So, right. He's also, I think, also the experience of living in Italy and Germany and traveling Europe. Uh, is opening up his brain to uh, a bigger picture. He was very critical of Norway and Norway society. And now he's starting to get bigger uh, philosophically as well. And maybe women have brains and feelings. Maybe. 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 (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sorry to interrupt I need to see more documentation. Yeah, what? (laughs) Siege, I've been feeling kind of bad about this. I'm sorry that I I bit at you earlier uh, about the thing, you know, because I... I think sometimes I can, I'm looking at you now and I can just tell like you're about to have one and I just need you to, (laughs) I need you to relax because. CJ's breakdown. Nora has been married to and had three children with Torvald and is a kept woman in every sense of the word, even to the point of constantly being treated like a child herself. She has no agency or thoughts of her own until she secretly and illegally secures funds needed to save Torvald's life. Her perceived perfect life and home are thrown into turmoil when ruined and wounded Krogstad threatens to reveal all to her husband and the community. Ruined. <laughs> Ruined. 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 Uh, nice. Yes, I. That is exactly the plot of this play. Who wants to start? Um. 
Uh, I feel like that Ibsen's women weren't true crime fans. <laughs> sure. Not, not yet. Nora definitely did not listen to my favorite murder. No, she did not. Not, she's not, a not fan. until after she left. Not till the end. She's, um one thing she's I want to bring up. No, one thing I want to bring up actually, because we taught well, actually, we talked about this um when we hung out last weekend. Um, a doll's house versus a dollhouse because uh, it depends on the a, translation. Okay, because then I listened to, and it wasn't L.A. Theater Works. I, I read this, and then I listened to it um, just to get it in my head a little bit more. And they also called it a dollhouse. So it's it's a translation thing? It's a translation thing, and apparently it is a big, like, if you want to start a fight among, like, <laughs> academicians in, you know, at a conference, like, like just throw out that fucking apostrophe okay. S and okay. people lose because they, their they, minds. They, over they it. obviously say thing. two different, they kind of have two different messages, kind of. Well, so it's, sure, uh, agreed, it's Danish, mm-hmm. right? And et duk echem. <laughs> Is how it's pronounced, and it translate both. It translates in English both ways depending on context. There's oh. no context. Stinger. Right. So the <laughs> argument is: well, the context is the play, and the play obviously it should be called a doll's house because that makes it mean this. And then there's other people who would say no. No, because it shouldn't be possessive because that would mean that she doesn't have possession of her own independence or whatever. And it's just like, I don't, I don't care. (laughs) Right, right. And to me, the other way almost works because she has a monologue about it, how I've, my father treated me like a doll and now, and she treats her children like a doll. And so uh, technically everyone in there is a doll, not living, you know, whatever. I just, there's also uh, the, the, uh, the phrase a dollhouse, like that a toy that people would buy their children is an American phrase, like a dollhouse oh. is is one word. And so that had that became part of the debate and the conversation later. But we're gonna say here, I think for this pod, it's whichever way you want, whichever way works for you and tells it works. I don't want to accept zone. anyone different. Oh, we, <laughs> it's know, a doll's house, motherfuckers. No, CJ, we've been watching your. Posts. No, I like a doll's house. Yeah, yeah, I like a doll's house as the as the name. I think that's better. Uh, I should mention I read all the same translator. Oh, oh, did you? Uh, I, well, I did too. We because I read whatever book that we had on online that we were. Using. Were all three of them in that? Because I didn't I have... use those. I have a book full of them. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So there's a book by a man, and it's all, it's 14 of Ibsen's plays all translated by this man. Mm-hmm. And his name is Michael Myers. Now, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that I, uh, it was written Ravey, by... Ravey, baby! Okay. Oh Mike Myers. Oh, that's Sorry. Mike Myers, okay. Get in my belly! That <laughs> bastard. Uh, I will say... I have been kind of on a Halloween kick recently. Digression. <laughs> I've been insert stinger here. I rewatch because I'm I'm watching John Carpenter movies because uh, they're doing it on Blank Check right now. And so I just watched I watched Dark Star, which we actually talked about. Dark Star, uh, yeah, a Dark little Star. bit uh, in our Jodorowsky episode. But I watched the original Halloween, a masterpiece. I love it very much. It's so good. But I just watched the new 
the director's name is last name is Green. Uh, the it's a it's called Halloween. It has Jamie Lee Curtis in it, and it's a direct sequel to the original. It deletes all of the other sequels that were made, which of which there are like twelve. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch any of those, but I did watch this new remake, and it's phenomenal. And there's about to be a sequel called Halloween Kills that I'm super pumped for. And I think y'all should watch the first one, and then we should all go see the third one. And when I say we all, I mean all of our listeners. Let's all go together. It'll be beautiful. We'll join rent us. Join Movie us. Yeah. Also, you can rent out theaters. We rented out uh, Universal City Walk that Theater and watched so Back much, to the Future. We did so much fucking. That fun. was that was so just to be able to spread out and for my my thirty first birthday for your very first birthday. <laughs> my thirty first birthday. <laughs> Let's say it was your very first birthday. It was my your very new, first your newborn, new newly awakened. All right, digression over. <laughs> <laughs> Another stinger inserted here. So uh, for me, uh, I, I reread this and, and enjoyed the text of it. But then on YouTube, I found Juliet Stevenson's version oh, oh. from ni- 1992. And I, why she never became a huge movie star, I don't right. know. But it was glorious. Wow. I was in it. It was um, the actor who played... Uh, 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 Theon Greyjoy's dad, Lord Greyjoy, the Fuck one who gets that yeah. guy. Yeah, he's but a great he's actor. he's in it. He great plays he plays the doctor, and he's fantastic. Like it took me forever to recognize him because he has like thinning bald hair that's like cropped very tightly, and I'm like, I know who that motherfucker is. And um, but it was a fantastic production, and Juliet Stevenson, um, who might be one of the most underrated actresses in terms of pop culture ever. If you haven't seen Truly Madly Deeply with her and Alan Rickman. I want a minimum. Sorry. (laughs) Get get yourself a box of tissues and watch Truly Madly Deeply. Okay. We'll laugh and cry. Fun little sidebar to that. I I also listened to Hedda Gabler uh, audio and she plays Hedda Gabler in that. Wow. In in an audio version. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't LA theater works. It was something, it was something else like an English. She, uh, but she just, English. English. She just got it. (laughs) They can't act. But I just fucking loved her in it. And I was so engaged and so in it. And so like palm sweaty throughout and girl, just, just tell him. Just tell Torvald. Just tell him what happened. <laughs> he won't and understand. He wouldn't, and he didn't, and he doesn't. At the end, like he's right. Like it's the, a good the, it, the the play builds really good tension. I mean, because it's basically charting the two days from it's basically charting from the moment she realizes that he's going to find out to the moment that he finds out and she therefore leaves him. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. like that's a tense time in a household, a small doll's house, and <gasps> and just. Just watching the way that the three men in all of their individual scenes one-on-one with her are fucking with her in some way or another, in some sort of uh, example of patriarchy, um, is awesome. I have one question about all of the characters in the show, but I'll ask in a second. Go ahead. Well, I think the other thing that... um... Come well, maybe I see it more now in 2021. While we're, we're while we're you know dealing with it now and talking about it more, is um, male fragility 
And I, it makes me wonder, like, was that an idea in the back of his head about like, I mean, when you get to the real reason why Torvald is firing Krogstad, he's like, well, he's too familiar with me. And I don't want people to know that we used to be friends. And, um, it's one of those things. I don't know. I don't know if he if he put that in on purpose or if it just was. I don't know. But I don't know. I, I don't know if it, if it was that or if it was a combination of that with the structure and rigidness of society at the time, like, right? And and how you 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 dealt and talked to other people, right? But also like this. The, another modern thing that I got out of this play is relationships like this, where the power balance is all fucked up. It isn't good for anybody in the relationship. No. Like if, if somebody wakes up to it now, if they had gone on and he was in charge this whole time, mm. maybe it would have been a happy ending for him. But like, you know, uneven relationships like this aren't good for anybody involved. No, not at all. And right. yeah, I think that that's, it's, it's one of the, remarkable achievements of it is that at the heart of this she's in this situation because she tried to save her husband's life right Mm -hmm. she tried to you know and then because of his fragility because of his she feels that that he wouldn't be able to accept that she had done this thing All, all hell breaks loose and so she she's forced to like do these things and put up these walls and and adapt to things um I'm really interested to hear what you guys feel about the character of Christina and how, what, what's the juxtaposition, what did you guys think was the juxtaposition there with Nora as a character? Because she's, she ends up kind of going down the path of tradition in, in hooking up with Kogstad, Krogstad, excuse me, Krogstad, which should be, the name of a of a Scandinavian death metal band. Crazy fast drums. Double bass. But you, but she's interesting because she floats in so early. She challenges Nora so early about sort of you know being being this pompous kind of person and talking about money too much and being a little too proud and and -hmm. all this stuff and but at the same time she's there because she's lost everything so she needs a job and so she's there to beg but then at the end when she goes with Krogstad which I actually found to be a a a lovely weird scene that I was moved by when they connect and like these two sort of lost souls get to go together um, but does that is that relationship stronger or on more terra firma because they both have been fucked up and both have had kind of well, Krogstad's had kind of a shady past, but Christina's past is all fucked up and she's lost everything too. Like, do you feel like hopeful in that relationship at all? I don't know. I do. Do you? Okay. Paige, what do you think? Yeah, sure. I mean. I think, and this kind of also goes with what you were asking, Siege, like, about male fragility. Like, I think he is very aware of gender. Mm-hmm. But yes. I don't know that he's always talking about it. Right. Right? Uh, necessarily. I have a really hot take on this that I'll give next episode. I'm going to okay. save it for next episode. Yeah, but, I got, I've got some things I want to break into, too. Yeah, but I will say, 
yeah, I think it's interesting to sort of compare them or like as a juxtaposition. I don't know that he is purposely being like, and here's here's the other path she could have gone down, kind of you know, like mm-hmm. like for Nora, if that makes sense. I don't know that it's there for that purpose, but maybe I, I didn't read it that way. But yes, I do feel hopeful in that relationship, and the hope is that even though it is traditional, that doesn't mean it's always necessarily bad. Not everybody has a negative experience, but right. But Nora is making the right decision. Yeah. By the right. end of this. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting juxtaposition. Did you guys know there, go ahead, Siege. Oh, well, I was just to answer Scott's question, Christine. And I mean, I, I keep getting hit over the head about why we studied Ibsen and Chekhov together in my acting classes. Christine and Krogstad remind me of the, the middle class to working class characters in Chekhov plays. Mm-hmm. They're more grounded. I mean, sometimes they're funny, like, you know, Chekhov, most of his stuff is supposed to be comedy. So sometimes they're clown type characters, but they're also the grounded ones and they have a little bit more humanity than maybe the lead characters have. Mm. Um, and that's, that's kind of what hit me about them. But I definitely have a lot of, I mean, you almost need that relationship in the end. And I have a lot of hope about about how things turned out for them when the play was over. Absolutely. Did y'all know that there was an alternative ending written for this? Yeah, it had Vaguely. he had, to do, what he is had it? to do it he had to do it in Germany because of his his agent made him do it and the German wouldn't accept it. But yeah, they had to do it. His agent was like German audiences are going to hate this ending where she leaves. You can't do this. They are too conservative. They're not going to be cool with this. And he was like, screw that. This is a total disgrace to what I'm trying to do. And his agent was like, here's the problem. We can't like copyright this. Like if we hand this over to the translators for to, in German, they can change the entire ending if they want to. Wow. And Ibsen was like, well, I'd rather do it than they fucking do it. So he does it where he basically sets it up where she is led to her kids. I'm trying to remember exactly what it is. She's led to her kids and it's... Yeah, Torvald takes her to to the kids. And there's some kind of like insinuation that she stays. Yeah. Which then, what is this play about? <laughs> what is this play? Like, right. what's the point of this play? Uh, besides a moment in time, um, what do you feel about it? I, I for a second, I thought you were to say sh- they take her to her kids and then say you're never going to see them again and throw her in prison <laughs> and rip her away from them, <laughs> which yeah. would have been a pretty poignant ending too. <laughs> Ibsen's actual quote is, "This was a barbaric outrage." Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Well, and there's something interesting, and I'm going to save it for the next episode about the real life inspiration for this right. play, Laura and Keeler, w- and what happened to her. Wow! Yeah, wait. exciting. Next, next time, next on time. part two. Exactly. Well, why don't we stop there then? Because we have a lot more we can say about a doll's house. We can I do that on lot. the next yeah. episode. Uh, and how about that scene, y'all? Hmm? How, how about, about that, scene? that scene at the beginning from a doll's house? That was uh, <laughs> thank, our thank very you. own Scott and Siege uh, pulling off some. Uh, I was playing Krogstad. <laughs> <laughs> radio theater, guys. Radio theater. Sorry, I'm excited uh, about that death metal band. 
Next time, also, we'll get to rank them. Uh, but before then, do you have uh, an LA spotlight or anything like that? LA Spotlight. I do indeed. I am producing for Sacred Fools Theater Company um, a two-night only event. Uh, it's called The Word. It's written and starring Victor Isaac. It is a very funny, very moving piece about forgiveness, specifically forgiving yourself. Mm. Um, it's wonderful. You can check it out in person if you're in LA. Get tickets at sacredfools.org. But it's also live streaming on both this uh, Friday uh, and Saturday, the 17th and 18th at 8 p.m. Um, it's donate what you can. Oh. Uh, it's a little fundraiser. So throw us some money uh, or don't throw us some money and just watch it or come see it. Um, but it's really a, a lovely, funny, funny evening of entertainment. Uh, come check it out. Bailey and I will be there. We're going to be there on Friday night. No. Thank you, guys. Thanks for coming to talk. I'm stoked to see show. it. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, all right, y'all. So uh, there's something else I'm supposed to say. Yes. Thank you for joining us uh, for part one of Pot Gabbler. Join us next week for part two where we will finish up A Doll's House, and then we'll talk about Head of Gabbler a little bit. Uh, and then our next in stuff is a CJ pick, which is what, Siege? <laughs> Showgirls. Showgirls! <laughs> Showgirls! Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, we've already recorded it. I can't wait to listen to it again. It is <laughs> one of my favorite episodes I think we've ever done. And maybe I'll re-listen and be like, what, what the fuck were we talking about? But no, I think it was pretty brilliant, actually. Pretty fun. Pretty good <laughs> times. Uh, then we will begin our next playwright. Let's see if anyone can guess it. Sh- shoot us a message in our DMs. No cheating. Name of the miniseries is M. Potterfly. (laughs) (laughs) Check it out. Figure it out and let us know. Uh, That's all. Moving on. Questions, comments, suggestions. Do you have any corrections for us? Please reach out to us via email or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Scat. Thank you, CJ. A big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song. It's so true. Uh, As well as all of our stingers. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Also, a big thank you to Pamela Quinn for writing our Ibsen-centric song, which you are about to hear. It's Mm -hmm. going to be amazing. Um, And then finally, to the great Annie Baker for writing every episode of our podcast, and she doesn't even know it. That's how good she is. That's why they gave her the damn Pulitzer. She does it in Um, her sleep. She does it in her sleep. And one day, Annie Baker, we're going to buy you a beer. Can't wait. Hams. Maybe Pabst. I'll buy her whatever she wants. Yeah. No, she gets three choices. <laughs> Coors Banquet, Pabst, Banquet. or Hams. I, uh, I want to believe that she's like a shot of bourbon with a, a Hams chaser kind of lady. Yes, that's probably it. Let's hope. Or just like Henny and apple juice. Please <laughs> go rate, subscribe, and review, or all three. It really does help. And and I, I actually mean it. Like, just just write up say hi just write hi yes with five stars yes <laughs> uh, or rate it five stars and write something really mean about us <gasps> yeah we'll take it give me and then we'll read it on the podcast yes okay we love you guys so much uh later y'all man 
Oh my god, oh my god, you guys, <laughs> this podcast's gonna win a prize. I don't know about you, but I'd like to fuck you guys. I'd like to fuck you guys. Our listeners, also you. <laughs> Later, everybody. Yeah. Norway. Eyes opening, fingers moving slow, but they're there. Breathing in, breathing out, wanna shout, but can't, not quite there. They're there. Arms move, legs twitch, each stitch makes their way there with care sway back and forth let's real move to the side alive tongue and cheeks hands and feet take a leap off of the Step more, you're alone now in the zone. Soon free as long as he doesn't.